0: Well, we're going to begin this morning with everyone's favorite Christmas passage, which is Revelation chapter 12. So if you would please turn to Revelation chapter 12. That's right. Going to do today is we're going to read and discuss Revelation chapter 12 a bit, and then we're going to jump to Luke chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to do a little theological comparison between the two and see how um, they present the Christmas story in different language. But yet, you will definitely see some overlaps. Revelation chapter 12 is is broken into two pieces. And the second piece is a uh, retelling from a different perspective of the first piece. So let's begin. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was, giving, and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. And so this um, this is much larger than the birth narrative, as you probably noticed. Who is the woman? It's not Mary, I don't think. This is Israel. This is faithful Israel. You can see this because... 12 stars on our head. 12 stars, 12 tribes. This is a Israel giving birth essentially faithful Israel giving birth to the Messiah. Alright? And then you have another character. You have the red dragon. Seven heads, ten horns, seven diadems on these seven heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. This is a reference to angels, angelic beings. He brought, And that becomes even more clear in the second half of Revelation chapter 12. He swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. All right, and so this is a woman in labor pains about to give birth. And he wanted to devour the child as the child came into the world. In verse 5, she gave birth to a male child. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So she, she was going to give birth to a, a male child that would rule all nations with a rod of iron. We know from the other parts of Revelation and of course the whole New Testament and the Old, really, uh, that this is referring to the Messiah. All right? This is referring to one who would come, right? who would then rule all the nations, not just Israel. But would ultimately, it would be the ultimate king that God would put on the throne. And so she gave birth to this child. And then we've got you know, longer story, really collapsed into a very small thing. And this child was caught up to God and to his throne. I think this is a reference to the ascension of Christ, right? And the enthronement of Christ. So he became ultimately you know, king at that point. That's what it means coming to the throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. The story of Christmas, all right, is this story. Okay. It is the story of, it's a long story, really. It happened in a very short period of time, in a sense, but also very long. It's a long story in the sense that it was Israel over time was who was the mother. All right. Israel is the mother, and eventually the child would be born. And the child was born. He lived his life. He died. All right. This is the dragon trying to devour the child. But the child didn't stay dead. The child, who was a man, actually ascended to heaven on the throne. So this is, well, this is actually Christmas and Easter and Ascension all in one. I don't know if this particular scene would make uh, a very, at least from a cultural perspective. I don't know if it would make a very acceptable uh, manger scene. Um, you, You know, having Mary with about to give birth with a dragon standing in front of her, about to eat the child. But that, theologically, all right, what you what we have in our nice manger scenes, theologically, what's happening is something quite bigger than just shepherds and wise men visiting a child who was born. Much, much bigger. So let's read the second half. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael, and you'll see through this why we must say that this is just a retelling of the same story from a different perspective. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And at this point, we now think back to the previous story and go, ah, he, how he swept down the third of the stars of heaven. This is the same thing here. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation, and the power, and the kingdom of God, and the authority of His Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death." Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Rejoice, O heavens. Why heavens rejoice? Well, the Satan, the serpent, and his angels have been cast out of the heavens and have cast down to earth. The things to notice here, and this is what we'll want to be looking for in Luke chapter one and two, would be, of course, the passage before, uh, where he, where the the child would rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but here this note about how salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of His Christ have come, all right, and that His people conquered by the blood of the Lamb continue on. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman, and so there's the connection once again to the previous story. You know, it's like 7 through through 12 is like a an aside there that's retelling that fight. And pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but the woman was given The two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman, and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And who are those people? On those who keep the commandments of God, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand uh, of the sea. After this is the two beasts, as when we went through our Revelation story. The first beast represents Rome. Romish power, Gentile power, essentially. Uh, and the second beast comes from the land. Uh, who comes from the land? This is talking about the land of Israel. This is talking about corrupt aristocracy, corrupt priesthood, and such. Yes, sir?
1: What color is associated with like, the Canaanite society, culture, society?
0: I do not know what color would because
1: be. Like, the specificity of a red dragon, mm-hmm. and a dragon equals serpent. Mm-hmm. And I think like i'm not like i'm not 100% savvy on the history but it wasn't like the Phoenicians. they were you know their demarcation was like red red was a big staple of their culture
0: okay
1: my, i you, uh, i don't know i guess it it, 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 it this, this this to me is telling me a st- like t- like a story that uh, is very old like very i mean
0: this is a it is time. it's an extremely old and story it's, yeah.
1: yeah it's just it's very interesting
0: mm-hmm it is an interesting story. I totally agree. <laughs> now, Revelation was written for a different, very different purpose right, than Luke 1 and 2. Sure. Right? Also keep in mind, everybody, that whenever we read Luke 1 and 2, all right, remember everyone speaking. all right. None of them have the benefit of Jesus' public ministry. Okay? None of them have that. Think of Luke one and two when everyone's praying. They are they are for all intents and purposes they are Old Testament saints, all right. All of them, including Mary. All right. Now Mary has special revelation and some of the others do, um, but they don't have the full picture. Right? They don't. They don't know what John knows when John's writing this, um, but they do know their Old Testament and they do have definite expectations of what's to come. So let's look at that. There will. Definitely, be some things that are different from from Revelation, but some important similarities. And so, I want us to see how the language. Um, uh, say, I, I guess I should say, I want to see, I want us to see how the meaning, though not necessarily always, the language overlap. So, turn to Luke, chapter one, and we're going to just read as much as and discuss as much as we have time. I'm not sure we will make it through all of uh, Luke chapter two. There were some elements, as we're turning, there were some various elements in Revelation that we're going to want to look for. All right? We're going to want to look for who the identity of the person, of this, of this child. All right? We're definitely going to want to look for that. And we're also going to look, want to look for characteristics of what's going to happen in his reign and what's going to be true of his people in his reign. Okay? Those are things that we will definitely see very clearly in Luke chapter 1 and 2. We won't see a whole lot of uh, explicit fights with Satan. So, if we start, really, we should start with John, not even with Jesus, because that's where Luke starts. So, we'll begin in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Just something to notice here. You've got a juxtaposition here that that, uh, it's pointing out an unfairness or a, a perceived unfairness. She was righteous and she was barren. All right. Barrenness often looked at as, there's something wrong with you, The Scripture very clearly says, no, she was actually righteous. And what seemed unfair in her younger years, ultimately God rectifies in her later years, and that's part of the story. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And note here, it's setting a scene. It's not just one faithful man, all right? This is a faithful community, a man working within a faithful community, all right? That's that's the scene that's building up here. And then what happens, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared okay let's read a little bit more and then we'll stop and Zechariah said to the angel how shall I know this for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years and the angel answered him I am Gabriel I stand in the presence of God and I sent and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news behold you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time All right, the things to focus on here really would be verse 16 and 17, now that we have context. And he will turn, and this is, of course, talking about their son. His name will be John, John the Baptist, as we know. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the people, excuse for the Lord a people prepared. There's a few things to think about in relation to this in Revelation. All right? uh, really the main thing, all right, is about the the nature of the people in Revelation. Right? Who are the who? Are, what's the nature of the offspring of the Lady with twelve stars? All right? not just the, the one male child, but the others. All right these are those who would be when the dragon cannot kill the the male child who would rule the nations with the blood of iron, he goes after those who obey the commandments of God all right this is who who's the children of the lady, those who who obey the commandments of the Lord, not necessarily physical offspring but those who obey the commandments of the lord and here the purpose of this child all right is to um, is essentially to make ready for the lord a people prepared and this points to a passage that's frequently pointed to in the new testament when talking about john and of course about talking about jesus and that would be isaiah 40 you might recall isaiah 30 1 through 39 is primarily about, um, during Isaiah's lifetime, various things going on. All right? there's, um, there's problems from nations to the north. There's problems from, well, all around. There's problems within Judah from sinful people. Um, Isaiah 1-39, Judah is in the land. Isaiah 40 is in the future. Judah is in exile at that point. All right. Judah is in exile to Babylon. And Isaiah 40 starts with, prepare a way for my people to come out of exile. That's the point of Isaiah 40. And this verse is multiple places quoted in reference to John, where John specifically is the one who would make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And if you think back to the gospel accounts, you should be able to think of a, a number of people that were specifically prepared by John, and that a good number of Jesus' disciples were Johns. All right? Before Jesus came on the scene. John was their mentor. And then after that, of course, many other people were mentored by John, not just his Jesus' closest disciples. So we see this aspect of it, at least, that... These people are being prepared for obedience. And in Revelation, the problem is they're being prepared for obedience in the midst of a great deal of persecution that is coming their way. Now let's uh, go to the next section in Luke. Starting in verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel... Sixth month of what? This is after Elizabeth has conceived. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel... Was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name. And just to keep things clear here, house of David significant because Davidic promises promises that a child from David's all right from David's line would ultimately rule on the throne. Now, the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. She was, you know, John's father was also troubled, right? Mm-hmm. Mary also troubled. You get troubled when an angel shows up to talk to you. Uh, and, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And what does Jesus mean?
2: Savior.
0: Savior. God saves. All right. you will call, as Matthew says, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from, his, from their sins. All right. God saves. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and his kingdom there and of his kingdom there will be no end and at this point we have a very clear linking right between jesus and the child in revelation 12 right the child who would rule, who would rule with a rod of iron rod of iron would is a You know, an image of of sturdy conquest, power, right? He he will rule. And here it's how how long will he rule? Well this individual will somehow reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom uh, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel of The Lord, let it be according to your word, and the angel departed from her. She did not have doubt in this; she accepted it. She is not struck mute until the child is born. Um, she responds. All right, she responds appropriately. Now, yeah, go ahead.
2: Likely very young, right? Yeah, 14, 14, 15, 15. She is
0: likely mid-teens yet faithful. Right? And note, she doesn't even know, I mean, the point of this also is partially, she, she has not even talked to Elizabeth. Right? The angel, Elizabeth's in hiding. Right? Why exactly? I don't know. But she is. She has been in hiding. She's been staying at her home for five months. So she's she's pregnant. And Mary, the angel tells Mary, which of course sets up for the very next paragraph. So let's read that. In those days, Mary arose Came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Perhaps something is just unsaid here that was in the narrative, but I think the implication of this is as follows: You've got the story where um, you know Zechariah and Elizabeth—they've already—they're they're, now—you know—they're six months into their experience. You know, Zechariah has, has now been dumb. He has been unable to speak for six months. Mary has been in hiding at this point. Um, notice how it doesn't say, Mary does not say when she comes in, by the way, I'm giving birth to the Messiah. All right, notice it doesn't say that. And, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... Alright. The baby lived in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Alright? Elizabeth knows immediately, just like that. Alright? The Spirit speaks to her. Alright. This baby that I'm holding, alright, that I'm carrying, will prepare the way of the Lord. That must be you are actually carrying the Lord. So Elizabeth sees this, knows this, without being told by Mary. And then, of course, praises God for it, right? Then Mary follows up with her own prayer. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich, he has sent away empty. He has helped to serve in Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Remained with her about three months till John's birth. I mean, the, the timing fits, that sort of makes sense let's stop and think a little bit about this language All right, think about this in contrast with Revelation or maybe not in contrast um, in comparison with Revelation because remember, Mary doesn't know at this point, everything that John knows a little bit later okay? 65, 70 years later think through each bit of her language My soul magnifies the Lord. This is back in verse 46. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Stop. Savior. All right? God, my Savior. She recognizes God ultimately as the Savior of the people of Israel. And, of course, her as well. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And this is a theme that you will see throughout the whole what is called here the Magnificat of Mary. Looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now com- contrast this with the beast. Alright? How is this different from the beast? Well, the beast is not humble. Alright? Or I should say the dragon. Because the dragon and the beast in Revelation are not the same. The dragon is not humble. As on, In the contrary, he is most proud. Alright? He is extremely proud and so proud that he will rebel against the one God. So very proud. And whenever he brings up beasts, one out of the land, one out of the, the, the sea, all right, they too are like the dragon, proud and powerful and wealthy and strong. All right. The image of all of those is an image of total and absolute power and strength, all right? They will still lose. But that's the image. They're extremely powerful. This is very much in contrast with this entire presentation by Mary. All right? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, God, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now, this is a part of that reversal that comes that came with Christ, all right? Where before it was blessed to be powerful, it was blessed to be rich. There's a reversal of language here, and it applies, I think especially if you think to from later revelation to earlier revelation to Luke, all right? You can see that this is the, um, the 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 mirror opposite all right in revelation there's very much an emphasis on the proud being destroyed which is the devil and his people and his his beast here it's the emphasis of the humble are exalted for he is mighty and has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation Mary is recalling here ideas that you see very commonly in the Old Testament, where you 've got the rich and the powerful oppressing the poor, all right not a pattern unique to Israel, all right a pattern very common in the world because that's naturally things going to happen. You have power, you have money, you have the ability to oppress, and so many people do. This is talking about general patterns. This is not as specific in the sense of uh, for example, at the second half of verse fifty three and the rich is sent away empty. It, Mary's not saying all rich people were sent away empty. That's not the idea. The idea of a pattern is this. Generally speaking, all right, the rich and the powerful are oppressing the poor. And the poor were needing help. Well, God is coming to save the poor. It's not that he won't save a rich person. all right? It's, God is coming to save the poor, to lift those up who are downcast, lift those up who have nothing. But there are... Lift those up who have nothing but their obedience. All right? Lift those up who have nothing but their humility. Like, for example, Mary. All right? And so what you've got, essentially, in, in Revelation chapter 12, you've got a different telling of the story, um, but you do actually have what's happening ultim- ultimately in Revelation. You've got that one child. All right? That one child who would come, that would rule the nations with a rod of iron, bringing down the very most proud of all people. All right, of all creatures, bringing down the very most proud Satan and his minions, and crushing them. All right, And who gets lifted up ultimately in that? It's ultimately those who are humble enough to follow Christ, or to follow the Lamb. The proud destroyed, the humble exalted. That, that happened
2: when Jesus was talking to the rich a young rich mm-hmm. yeah, rich, and he tells them okay well you say you've obeyed everything okay well then liquidate your assets and, and give the them to poor. the poor mm-hmm. and you know he's not willing to do it and Jesus then says you know it's hard for a rich man to get into heaven and it's interesting the disciples it says they are astonished like what Rich people are the ones who have God's favor. What do you mean they can't get in? And then they say, Then who can be saved? Right. If, if it's not what we thought, you know, it's
0: interesting. It is. It is. It's the, their their misconceptions have to be have to be broken down, right? And that's what, what, is, what Jesus is doing a lot in the disciple. Right? Hmm? I'm sorry,
2: that
0: say that, that, that again?
1: Like, it would take courage to submit, to like, to be humble at all, I would imagine. That relinquishing, you know, if you're, in that case, relinquishing these possessions, it, it's a cowardly act to say no, to be afraid. Because mm-hmm. you're attached, you're of the world, you're mm-hmm. not in the world type of deal.
0: Mm-hmm. Humility is always a challenge and always takes work for us, because our, our natural inclination is when wrong to defend right our natural inclination is to just gather for ourselves and not others alright that's, that's natural it takes strength and determination it takes obedience to be opposite from that right and certainly apparently apparently too hard for this particular individual right because he made, he made Jesus sad he went away he walked away, not willing to do it.
2: So and I think Jesus was pushing him to, like, oh, really, you've obeyed all the commands. Okay, well, let's put you to the test. Oh, you can't do it? Covetousness. You know, right.
0: Whatever. You haven't really obeyed all the commandments. Yeah. Let's let's go to, uh, in verses 57, uh, 57 through 66, it talks about John the Baptist and the, and the birth there, and you've got Zechariah being able to speak again and whatnot. And uh, we won't read that. And we will read, and this is where we'll have to finish today, is Zechariah's prophecy. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So this is the father of John the Baptist. Who, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, having been delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, Once again, a reference to Isaiah 40. Go read it, if you haven't in a while. To give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And if you think... How did you know the, the end of Revelation 12 ended very, very ominously? Right, the dragon wanted to kill the child, the child who would rule with a rod of iron. Could not kill the child, so the dragon was extremely angry. So what did he do? He was going to go after all the others, all the other offspring. And here is Zechariah. Right, you're bringing us light. Revelation is about how darkness is about to descend on them. Zechariah is like, you're bringing us out of the shadow of death. And of course, the book of Revelation ends with, even though the dragon came to bring darkness to, to kill them. He doesn't, right? Ultimately, God does provide for them. The church survives. Here we are. All right? God provides for them even in the middle of all of that darkness. It's not like Zechariah would be naive. He was a priest, right? He would know throughout the history of Israel that there were various times where the people of God were persecuted. Yet he understood that if God is going to be with his people, that ultimately they will absolutely be redeemed, just like they were redeemed out of, out of Egypt in the Exodus, and just like they were redeemed out of Babylon. So he knows this. All right? And he sees ah, it's through this child, all right? That salvation will come. And in Revelation chapter 12, all right? How did the saints conquer? Do we do we remember how did the saints conquer in Revelation chapter 12? The blood of the lamb. Through the blood of the lamb, right? Through that child, all right? That John would be preparing for. They would conquer through the name and through the blood of the lamb. So remember that Christmas, all right, is, depending on where, what part of the story you're talking about, uh, Christmas is a part of the war, essentially, all right? Christmas is a part of the war between Satan, between darkness, all right, and light, all right? It's good to remember the... uh, you know, often on Christmas we when we think of the traditional manger scene, we focus on the humility of Mary and that's right and that's good. It's exactly what Mary talked about in the Magnificat, all right. But also remember that other piece that Jesus didn't just come to be humble, all right, though he was. Jesus also came to do his work, to die and to rise and be exalted and to ultimately win. All of that is the big picture, which you see, certainly, in Zechariah, and Mary, and Elizabeth, and John, right? but you see more fully when you see the later part of the picture, where the Gospel writers right, and the other New Testament writers, like you see in the book of Revelation, they see their fuller picture, right? and they see, ah, this is how it actually unfolded. All right? They knew it was coming based on the Old Testament, but they saw how it actually unfolded. So, think about that over Christmas. Don't just read the Christmas stories. Read read Revelation. Read Romans. Right? Read 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 the crucifixion stories. It isn't Easter, all right? But Easter happened because Christmas happened, right? So read those as a part of your Christmas meditations. Rhonda, will you pray first, please?